HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a hospitality platform that empowers restaurants through their own website. With Bento Box, you get every restaurant website feature you need and more, all in one place. Opening soon listeners get 50% off their new website setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That's G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. This week on Meet and 3, we get ready for Super Tuesday by looking at how food shapes elections both at home and abroad. People know that you don't order a Philly cheesesteak with Swiss cheese as John Kerry did back in the 2004 cycle. A young group of friends decided that they would put up a website which told voters which polling booths had sausages. Prime Minister David Cameron was pictured about a week after this incident eating a hot dog in a bun with a knife and fork because he was so afraid. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Opening a restaurant is like getting drunk and having a regrettable one-night stand. Then you bump into that person at exercise the next morning. Great idea in the moment, but at some point you need to face the consequences of your choices. That quote comes from Martha Hoover, founder of Patashu Inc. Restaurant Group. And this is opening soon on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Alex McCreary. And I'm your host, Jenny Goodman. Welcome to Season 3 of Opening Soon, Episode 32. Our new format focuses only on startup projects that are actively driving towards an opening. We're chatting before and after a milestone moment, whether it be fundraising, construction, or hiring, so that we can get the prep plan and later, of course, get the skinny on how it all went down. So in a perfect world, vision and aesthetics would drive all of the design decisions for a restaurant space and money would be of no object. But there's also reality, and there's almost always a trade-off between what you want to do and what you can actually afford to do during a build-out and design. So were you lusting after those custom hand-painted ceramic tiles and then ended up at Home Depot with the Subway version? Or are you, you know, just going for it and going broke, or you have to spend all your money on reventing a hood? Well, today's guest is Chad Conley. He is a James Beard Award 
nominee, and he is the chef owner of the Palace Diner, Rose Foods, and the forthcoming Ramona's in Portland, Maine. Ramona's will be Chad's third restaurant, and he is working with a tight turnaround time and still working out the details of the budget. So when we last caught up with Chad on January 21st, he had just signed the lease and started his build-out. So let's hear how that conversation shook out. So the place is formerly a juice bar, um, so the layout is is kind of good for a food service establishment, and uh, a lot of the systems are already in place that we need. So our build-out is... Um, Mostly aesthetic. We're sort of putting a new skin on the place and uh, and making it our own. Um, so what's happened so far is that uh, demolition of a lot of um, like surface materials, like tiles, a couple of like small walls that we don't need, um, counters and shelving, stuff like that has been ripped out. Um, there's a little like prep space in our tiny basement that is uh, requires like a new wall with FRP and that's been installed already. Um, and that's sort of where we're at. The construction is at a pause point right now as the contractor um, just recently had a meeting with me and with the designer to like go over a bunch of questions that they have um, and to um, hone in on a more accurate budget. So far, we've been working on a um, sort of a rough budget, like a back-of-the-envelope kind of thing. And um, over the next um, over the next week, the contractor's meeting with subcontractors and is going to come in with a much more accurate number for us so we know where we stand and we'll know if we need to make any modifications to the plans based on that number. Was that because of, like, you needed to do demo before you could get an accurate picture of what was going to need to be done or is that just how your contractor worked or you guys just sort of demoed yourself tell us how how, how that all shook out yeah no it, it it the reason we got into demo first is that our timeline's really tight um and we're pushing to have the whole thing uh wrapped up and handed over to us to start the process we need to start uh to get open um by the first of March, and so we looked at the at the plans with the contractor and and isolated a bunch of stuff that we knew needed to happen, like regardless of budget. And we said that we gave a green light on that stuff without knowing exactly how much it's going to cost because it just needed to get done. It needed to get done early on in the process, and it was just stuff they could do before we moved forward and before the final plans were, like, 100% done. Cool. And tell us about, like, who's doing the plans with you. Do you have an architect, or are you guys just, you know, like, winging it with an interior designer, or you're, you know, doing it yourself on, you know, some graphing paper? Yeah, well... um, we, I do have experience doing it myself on graphing paper. <laughs> I'm like, no judgment. We've done it ourselves on graphing paper. Yeah, I think it's a good place to start because you, as an owner, you get, you sort of know exactly what's going on. Um, and it's a, it's a nice thing to be able to hand over to an architect or a designer because they're, they, they love that. They're like, okay, great. This is what you want. And this gives me like a, a starting point. As long as it's realistic, as long as you say, like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but uh, here's my dream. Uh, and I think it's, like, reasonable because I've laid it out on graph paper. Uh, it is a good place to start. But in this case, uh, we're because it's not an enormously complicated project, um, and, and, in fact, we don't even need building permits for the work we're doing because it's not that extensive. Um, 
we don't need an architect, but we're really lucky that our interior designer has an architecture background and she is taking care of all of the construction drawings. Um, so the contractor, even though we don't have an architect, uh, the contractor is working with a designer who um, is really skilled on that end of things and is handing the contractor a construction set of drawings that's like really thorough and complete and professional. Is that is that different than how you did it with your first restaurant, or you know, did you do something? Similar? Yeah. So well, with with Palace Diner, we just sort of we didn't really need to do anything. It's this old diner car that it would have been a shame if we had changed it because it's sort of beautiful the way it is. And we didn't really have any money anyway, so we were trying to avoid doing anything. Uh, and then with Rose Foods, my bagel shop, um, that was a much more extensive build-out. Um, there had been a fire in, in the property, um, so everything was being gutted by the landlord when I, was, when I took over the space. So I had an opportunity to sort of um, you know, determine where new walls were going to go. I had to figure out where all of the plumbing and all of the electrical was going in before the walls were even put up. So that definitely required the added layer of an architect um, on top of having an interior designer um, and, and a contractor. So the team was a little bit more robust for that, which was a, a more complicated construction project. Got it. So in the designer, is this somebody you picked because you knew that they could help with some of the architectural aspects or is it, you know, just a friend or somebody who you worked with before? How did you pick the designer? Um, she's someone who has been, um, she works in New York with a firm, a firm in New York and she's been, she moved up to Maine a few years ago and has been um, looking for her first um, professional job in Maine since moving here. And, and so I was excited to bring somebody new to introduce the food scene here to some, some new work, uh, some interior decisions that nobody else is seeing around town right now. Chasing that new, new, got to have something fresh. I love it. Um, so tell us, um, you know, you mentioned you have a quick turnaround time you're trying to get in for March. What's, what's pushing that? Is it just, you know, you want to get open or is there some specific event happening? Yeah, I guess it's a few things. I mean, one is just like the moment you sign a lease, there's this pressure to move as quickly as possible because it's just expensive to sit on it. Um, and it's if you don't move quickly, um, you're wasting money. It just you know you're paying rent and paying for uh, you know utilities, and you're putting all this work in and not making an income off of it. So there's just an, there's just internal pressure to move it as quickly as possible. Um, and, and that's a big one. We just don't, we don't have for this particular project, we don't have a huge budget and we just, the, the timing piece is important because the sooner we can get open, uh, the sooner we can, we can start making money and, and make the project worthwhile and the cheaper our startup budget will be because, um, you know, every 30 days we've got to, another rent check too. Yeah. So did, did you negotiate any concessions or tenant improvement with the landlord for this space? In this case, no. Um, it, it, um, I am familiar with that, but it didn't necessarily feel, it didn't really feel necessary for this space because, um, we weren't proposing to, you know, invest a massive amount into the property and real estate's, pretty intense in Portland right now and it was a pretty unique location in a great area and it was 
you know, I just, it was a matter of, you know, a day or two before the place went to somebody else. And I felt like, you know, there really, there wasn't room for that kind of negotiating and it felt comfortable to enter into the lease just by starting to pay rent right away. Um, but, in, you know, I've, I've definitely been in a situation in the past where I've negotiated, for example, like six months of, of free rent while the build-out is happening um, as a as a way to acknowledge that, hey, I'm putting in all these electrical and plumbing systems and flooring and, and walls and all the stuff that I can never get back uh, that basically moves immediately to the landlord's balance sheet uh, once I once I put it in. Um, but in this case, no, we didn't uh, didn't negotiate something like that. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's interesting that it's such a hot market that you were having to compete for the space. That's, I mean, it's a good thing. Hopefully, yeah. driving customers. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I, I sort of hate being in that position. I'd much rather be in a position where it's a space that nobody else wants. So you've got all the time <laughs> in the world to like right. have a you know leisurely conversation with the landlord where you get to know each other, but. This was not that. Like, we saw the space, and they were like, yeah, like, we're going to sign a lease with somebody else, like, in a couple days. So we've got to got to move really quickly here. Um, so, yeah, there just wasn't time for that. Wow. Good for your landlord. Not great for you, I guess. But, um, but it sounds like you're making it work and moving super fast. So now that you're in, you know, in the space, demos happened, and you're going back to review the budget, what are the things that you're having to cut? What are you getting to keep? Where, what's surprising you? I, what's, <laughs> I think what's surprising us is that construction costs are just higher than we want them to be. I, a part of it is that, like I was just saying, like we had to move really quickly. So we didn't have time to... Uh, sit down and spend a couple weeks, you know, really analyzing how much everything would cost, you know, after, after viewing space, my business partner and I didn't have time to like really thoroughly plan like in the way that like you should do if you're being responsible, uh, in this case, uh, but stakes were relatively low. We knew it wasn't going to be like an enormous project, um, but the budget that we came up with after like, you know, a couple of beers and a couple hours ended up not being adequate. And we're, we're, you know, every week we just learn more about what needs to be done in the space and how much it's going to cost. And, uh, it's just been a, you know, it's been a sort of frustrating, probably very normal experience, but I, you know, with the last opening I did, I had way more time and, um, everything came together like very much on budget and was, there was just more time for planning. And this one was like, let's just sign a lease and go for it. Uh, so I think that's been a big one. Uh, the biggest surprise for us is that like construction generally is more involved than we wanted it to be, um, and more expensive than we wanted it to be. Is there specific factors that like, you know, cosmetically you wouldn't have known to the naked eye, but that are really driving up the costs? I think it's the whole thing. I think initially when we first got in, we looked at the layout and we said, okay, like the layout works. We don't need to like take a sledgehammer to the whole thing and like redo everything. But then when we got into the design process, we realized that in order to really make it our own and in order to create a space that we could really stand behind, we kind of did need to put 
some time and resources into the materials and into even some of the like even some into some of the boring systems like shelving and stuff like that like it it wasn't as like turnkey as we like originally were hoping it could be it just in order to make it awesome it just needed more love and and i think had we taken a little bit more time in the beginning before signing the lease we would have come to that same conclusion but because we went for it quickly, we're just coming to that conclusion uh, as we're sort of figuring it out and budgeting it. So what are you doing in order to compensate for the lack and, you know, for the, like, for being over budget? Are you going raising more money? Are you just, you know, you and your partner putting in more capital? What's, how are you getting there? It's a little bit of everything. The biggest one is definitely borrowing more money. And we have a bank loan that's part of where the money is coming from. And before, like, a couple days before closing the loan, I just had this moment where I was like, uh, this isn't going to be enough, and I would much rather ask for more now before we close the loan than later afterward once we're, like, sort of starting to realize that uh, that we're, like, running out of money. So uh, I did that before closing the loan. I just went to the... Um, banker that I've worked with for years and said, hey, I've made a mistake. Um, here's here's my new budget. Um, here's why I think we need this much money. Um, and I want to know if you guys will uh, allow me to switch what I'm asking for. And uh, and they were great about it. Um, and they, they totally got it. And it was a really easy, easy process at that point. Yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's a little scary to suddenly be like, well, we're going to have a much larger monthly loan payment than we were expecting. But when you've got confidence in the business and you feel like it really it's going to support it, um, then it definitely feels like like the right thing to do. So now with the new loan, do you guys have enough budget to do all the improvements that you want to do? Yeah, now we're feeling good. We've, we feel like between the bank loan and our own equity and, and one other uh, – one other private loan, um, we're good. We've got access to hopefully more than enough capital than we need. Um, the bank loan that we uh, received, hopefully we won't have to access all of it. That's 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 our goal. Uh, but yeah, at this point, at this point, we should be good. But it, it it's still like, even though we've got access to it, we're still trying to be as conservative as possible, trying to like stick with reasonable budgets for everything and make sure we're not just saying, yeah, sure, like, let's do, like, this material that costs, you know, $30 a square foot. Let's instead go with a material that costs, like, 5 or $10 a square foot. We're still being, like, as conservative as we can be while sticking with our, like, original vision. Have you guys gotten to the point where you're selecting materials and all the all the fun stuff yet? We have chosen most of the materials and we're starting to make those purchases um and yeah most of most of the aesthetic stuff that the contractor needs to know about like most of those decisions have been made we still have sort of there's like the next layer on top of that like less fixtures and artwork and um you know other touches like that that we haven't uh we haven't moved forward on um but all the stuff that the contractor is going to be handling, um, that stuff has been has been worked out. 
Awesome. All right. And is there anywhere where you like had to, where you're like, oh, I really wanted to use like fancy marble here, but I guess we're going to have to go with, you know, good old, I don't know, quartz or something else. Is there anywhere you've had to trade out for, for budgetary purposes yet? Yeah. Our, our biggest compromise uh, so far has been on the contractor's millwork. Like our original plan had a lot of custom shelving that was in some cases in the dining room and in some cases in the kitchen, but like very much like a part of the customer's experience. And that stuff is just really expensive to have as well. Um, and it, it, that was the easiest one that we could target on the original budget. So turn to the contractor and say, look, just take all of this out of the budget and I'm going to figure out some other way to make this happen. And, and, and working with the interior designers, I like to figure out a cheaper solution to those shelves, which were originally like a full, fully custom uh, thing. And I don't know what we'll do. Like, I sort of joke about like installing, like I call it dad shelving, those like runners and brackets that you can get at the at like Home Depot or something, um, and just like doing a nice treatment of wood. Um, or some, some other like prefabricated bracket and like simple wood shelving thing. Um, that's been the biggest compromise. You know, it's, it's potentially like, you know, over $10,000 worth of savings there just in, in that one, one decision, which yeah. for a small project is like a big, you know, potentially a big chunk of, of our expenses. That's for sure a big chunk of the expenses and, you know, it's, yeah, painful, but I, I have confidence in your dad shelving. Yeah, thanks. I do too. I, I have a lot of experience with, with dad shelving. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Well, I think this is a good, you know, I think it's a good a good overview of where you are and a, a good place to, to stop. And um, I'm excited to catch up with you in about a month or so and see what progress you've made. Um, just quickly before, so we have it recorded, tell us like the size, I don't think we talked about how big the space is and how many seats, just so we, we know. The plan is for it to have um, seven seats. There's a counter that'll hold five seats and one top. Uh, and that's it. And hopefully in the summer we can put some benches outside that'll uh, allow another maybe half a dozen people to to sit outside. But it is tiny. We're like counting on being mostly a takeout takeout business. Um, in terms of square footage, and I don't even know. It's probably three hundred or four hundred square feet. Like I don't know, maybe somewhere around. There the whole entire thing, including like kitchen and dining room and bathroom. Um, so it's a really small, hopefully like cute and unique shop. Yes. Cozy. The word is cozy. Yeah. yeah thank you. Awesome. All right. It's going to be quaint and cozy and delicious. So that was our interview with Chad from back in January and he is live in the studio today. So we'll take a quick break and catch up. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their own website. Bento Box provides full-service website design, digitally accessible solutions, SEO best practices, and best-in-class support. Plus, you can increase profits both in and out of your restaurant with online ordering, catering, gift cards, and events. 
Bento Box is trusted and loved by over 5,000 restaurants worldwide, including Union Square Hospitality Group, Island Creek Oyster Bar, Luke's Lobster, Craigie on Main, Shybird, Oya, and many more. With Bento Box, you can get every restaurant website feature you need and more, all in one place. Opening soon listeners get 50% off their new website setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com slash opening soon. Okay, so we are back with Chad and he's sitting here in Brooklyn. So I'm assuming you did not open your restaurant on the 1st of March. <laughs> no, we're, we did not hit that target. <laughs> so give us the update. Uh, we're pretty close. The construction um, should actually be wrapping up. For the most part, today, um, the painters are in there today, and that's kind of the last, like, big thing. Um, there's definitely a punch list that's going to take another couple days, just small stuff that needs to get um, needs to get done, hanging some shelving, um, fixtures, that sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, we've got the next few weeks um, to get in there and, and sort of establish all the systems that we need to establish uh, now that the contractors are out to get ready for our opening the last week of March. I imagine, given the size of your space, you couldn't start in there at all while the contractor no, is there. No, it's it, a small space, right? Yeah, even for me to just go in and like walk around, so you could tell like contractors would get kind of annoyed. <laughs> They're uh, like, "Get out of my way!" Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it's really small. I would like go in uh, and immediately feel like in order to like stand around or like send a text message or something, I'd have to like go down into the basement. So you're only two weeks behind. That's not. That's not bad at all. No, it's really not too bad. And um, the construction schedule, uh, from the moment we had a real construction schedule, it, they've been on target and things have moved along pretty quickly. There haven't been any, like, uh, there's been a few small surprises, but nothing that's really set us back too far. Cool. I think, go ahead. No, I was going to say something that we talked a lot about, you know, when we caught up with you initially in January was about the budget and about, um, you know, like, you sort of back backed into the budget you hadn't you didn't yep. have anything to start with so now that construction after construction really started in earnest did that change again or you know after you sort of sat down with the designer you that's what you guys stuck to yeah since since that phone call um since we have had all the information we needed to have a real budget um it hasn't changed and there haven't been any major surprises that's since good. then so yeah the bank loan uh that we had talked about um we're we're feeling confident that that should be all that should cover us. Yeah. Good. So like you didn't have to go back and raise more capital or no. Nope. And at this point, it feels like we're probably not going to have to do that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 Were there things were, were there things that had to change to accomplish that, or were you once you set the budget, had your design and the things you were going to put in, all of that went according to plan, or yeah, it's just been a matter of. Um, <laughs> Once it was really set, like just being careful and making sure that, you know, we say no to things that the contractor or the interior designer might uh, might propose that might, you know, cost a few extra bucks. And sometimes those are hard decisions. But um, for example, uh, for example, there was uh, there was an aesthetic decision that got left out of the original plan that had to do with like window and door trim and replacing that um, that I like I would love to have approved. I think it would um, positively impact the like look and feel of the space. 
Um, but the budget was already locked in and it, just another couple thousand bucks. It just, I, we couldn't swallow it. So we said, no, sorry. So you got in there We're with some paint it. and you're like, I'll just, you know. Yeah. And there's moments like that. DIY like, it. yeah. Like my parents are going to do some exterior painting for us. Thanks which is mom really and nice dad. Them. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, stuff like that is, um, uh, we've made decisions like that to make sure that the budget stays where it needs to be. Yeah. Well, it's hard because as, as you're building those things, come to light and you if you say yes then it's you know two thousand dollars here two thousand dollars here three thousand dollars here and the the whole thing adds up and the next thing you know you're 20 grand over budget yeah exactly and it's like did i really need that door trim for this project it's hard not to get carried away with like the dreaminess of it like you want to say yes to everything that you know will be an improvement but the reality is you have to just know which things to say yes to and accept that sometimes you can't say yes to it all. And uh, uh, to be like sort of like cutthroat about it. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, sorry. Is your, doing it. Was your designer like supportive of those decisions? Yeah, sometimes definitely. they take like very personal ownership and are like, it has to be this way for vision. But No, it's been, she's been great about um, whenever I need to make a decision um, about like light fixtures, for example, presenting me with like several options and being very clear about the pricing for each option. Um, so I can make a decision based on how it looks and feels, but also based on that really important factor, like how much it costs. And, and she totally gets and respects that. Are there things that you would, uh, budget over time, you know, say, two years down the road, business is doing well, we're going to come back and do that trimming now, or we're going to upgrade to the fancier lighting fixtures because I really wanted them. Now we have some cash. Yeah. We've already got that list. (laughs) I mean, one of them is actually really important. Uh, There's no air conditioning in the space. And according to the previous tenant, the air quality in the summertime is pretty bad. And not only that, but we're going to be doing some cooking in there, which wasn't done by the previous tenant. Um, so we're anxious about air quality in the summertime, but we cut the, like the, you know, heat pump, like mini split unit out of the budget because it was, you know, seven or eight grand that we're like, well, we're opening in March. Mm -hmm. And if in the first month or so, the like level of business supports the confidence that we feel about how busy it's going to be, then we'll go for it. Um, but if it doesn't take off, then we would rather like not have spent that money in the first place. What's your window for heat and hot temperature in in Portland, Maine? Um, I mean, I think starting in like mid-June, people are going to start to notice if (laughs) if they walk in the door and it's like just sort of steamy. Balmy (laughs) sandwiches. (laughs) Yeah. And we can, you know, there's window, we can like put a fan in the window or whatever, but that's only going to go so far. Yeah. And you don't want your staff to be uncomfortable and yeah, people to come in and have a bad experience, but you have some, so you're buying yourself some time basically on that one. And that's, I mean, split units are pretty easy, quick. And we've sort of like built the, like with the wall that it needs to be mounted on in the Mm -hmm. future with like, we're prepared for it. Like it can happen really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's smart for you and your partner as owners to, I think when you're over leveraged and you have, so much riding on the success of the immediate success of having a line out the door and selling however X many sandwiches per day, it just puts an unnecessary stress. And if there are things like that where you can pull back, I mean, that seven or eight grand is a big chunk of money to be able to, you know, give you a few days of getting your feet wet. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, that's the that's the like biggest and most clear example of of like us having that wish list. And hopefully, right. hopefully within a month after opening, we'll like call up the contractor and say, "Hey, it's time to go Get on this here. thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about your dad shelving. I'm curious how that, because that seems like it was a budget versus aesthetic choice. So how did how did that one shake out? Yeah, so um, working, like I was just saying, with the fixture decisions with the designer, um, she ended up presenting several different um, shelving options, um, brackets that she was really into, along with how much each bracket would cost, and then wood shelving options too. Um, with like very small, quick, inexpensive custom touches um, that brought the cost of shelving way down without stooping to the uh, the level she was of not dad shelving. You uh, DIY the shelving, <laughs> no, is which basically. Is great. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I was prepared to do that for the sake of the budget, but um, she, I think, would have um, you know shed a tear. Yeah, uh, if, she was like, if "I'm we out." That direction, yeah. Love it. So I, yeah, I feel really good about um, about the way that we navigated towards a, a result that um, that is going to look and feel great. We had uh, we had lunch before before taping right now, and we talked a little bit about um, how this project was different than your first two projects. And then in the first two, you you said you basically had everything accounted for and aligned for in your budget from lighting fixtures to chairs before you took the lease. Whereas in this project, you just took the lease because yeah. one, you had to, but how, how do you feel like that decision has played out now that you're almost done with construction? I mean, I think it's, uh, it's so far it feels like it's working out fine uh, for this particular project, but I, def- it's definitely not a good way to approach. <laughs> you wouldn't recommend it. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> It's probably the worst way to do it, um, but I think having I, I I like to think I can get away with it a little bit because I do have the experience of opening other places where I've been super cautious and about like you were saying, just knowing how much I'm going to spend on every single chair and every single spoon before a lease is even signed, um, and it just felt like because we didn't really have the time for that, the business partnership came together while the lease was coming together, like the whole thing formed over the matter of just a couple days, um, it felt like, you know, it was okay. Like, we, we were just going to dive in and figure it out. And it's not such a huge project that the ramifications of that, um, if they were negative, wouldn't be too overwhelming. I feel like that what would normally hinder a project in doing that is time. Yeah. Um, right, and, and being prepared for permits and, you know, taking longer to forge a partnership agreement mm-hmm. or um, longer to get fundraising, those kind of things. It yeah. certainly hasn't affected your timeline if you're only two weeks away from yeah. from opening or two weeks behind your initial schedule. Yeah. How, were there, are there, is your permitting in place or are there, do you need less permits because of the type of uh, concept you're opening? In terms of um, construction, that was really easy because we didn't, this project didn't require a building permit because uh. we're not basically like the contractors say we're they're just putting a new skin on it um just making pretty major aesthetic changes but no like major system changes no we're plumbing not, like, no electric no yeah front pretty of the building. just super minor stuff right. yeah um tape the windows and do your work and yeah um but in terms of like operating uh permitting that's the one factor that um sort of outside of our control like 
you have to wait until the last minute to invite the health department in and the like life safety people in. They need to see that you're ready to operate before they come in to inspect. Um, so all the paperwork is submitted and it is like where it needs to be um, in the you know health department's hands. Um, I've called them many times to make sure that's the case. Hey guys, it's me, Chad. Yeah, Just checking in. <laughs> They're like, yes, Chad, don't worry. <laughs> uh, but you know, that's one of the things that we 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 kind of don't have control over. Like, we have a good relationship with them, and um, the health department stopped by when we first signed the lease just to sort of walk around and look at our plans and give us like a thumbs up. Um, but we're not going to know how they're going to respond um, post construction to some of the changes that we've made until they're there. So our fingers are crossed. Right, so, cause, so the plans that you initially had showed them have are now a little bit different than what you ended up... A little bit, and there's also, like, you know, it depends, like, which inspector you get and how they're feeling that day. Sure. And I mean, I we're, we're fortunate in Portland, and I think a lot of restaurant owners in Portland would agree that um, they're really knowledgeable and reasonable people. Nobody's out to, like, screw you over. Um, yeah, and it, it's easy to feel like you're on the same team and, and uh, just like you're working for public safety, and that's a good thing to be working towards. It's not an antagonistic relationship. I mean, that's nice to hear. You always want the, like, regulatory authorities to be pro-business and not adversarial relationships. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, and, and you have to, as a business owner, like, be prepared to respect whatever decision they uh, whatever decision they make. But, you know, obviously we're hoping they make a decision that allows us to open on schedule. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, since we are talking about budgeting for the build, how how your budget was broken down on uh, equipment versus construction versus labor versus um, just some of the aesthetic pieces of the of the puzzle. Yeah. We... And, how you, and, and in that, how you value the different spots, right? Is the chair that the customer sits on more important or is the machine that you're toasting the bread in? Yeah, we sort of like have a like larger overall startup budget. Um, and the biggest chunk of that for us is the, the construction costs that are being paid to the general contractor. Um, so that includes like subcontractor costs like electrician, plumber, um, all the mill work they're doing themselves, the installation costs, all that stuff. Um, and I feel like I don't really have that much control over how that gets broken down. Like they tell me this is what it's going to cost and we work together to try to like trim that stuff down. Um, but then at the end of the day, I'm looking at this like large dollar figure that right. I just know is going to be, um, I don't know, for this project it's about um, maybe half of our total opening budget. Half for the GC, basically for all of the yeah. construction. Yep. Okay. Um, and then... Um, that leaves us with another the remaining 50%, which we've broken out and said, well, I think it's responsible to a lot, you know, 15% to kitchen equipment and, you know, this percent to paying our rent and whatever. And then, um, you know, the person, my partner, Josh, who is in charge of the kitchen, he looks at that budget and says either, yeah, I can make this work or, uh, so like, sorry, Chad, like, this is not <laughs> enough money to open a restaurant. 20 bucks left yeah. to get everything stocked in the Yeah, so we kind of work backwards a little bit and we say, like, this is our budget for the whole project. This is what's already allotted for it. Can we make everything else work uh, with what's left? Do you also have budget for opening months until you become profitable? Uh, no, we just 
imagine that we will be profitable right away. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our fingers are crossed that we'll be profitable right away. So people in Portland, <laughs> go, go and support. support. ASAP, yeah. don't wait. And I think that's been my experience with other, like my other restaurants, they're, they're small, they're mom and pop operations. Um, and so, you know, it's not like there's a crazy amount of overhead. We're going to have a handful of staff. Um, there's only seven seats. Right. It's a relatively simple thing to operate. So I, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect to be profitable from day one. You're also kind of going into the busy season of Portland, Maine, right? Yeah. Was that planned in taking the lease and then? I mean, it was it was building? recognized that the the timing was ideal and that um, it de- it definitely motivated us to get open quickly. This is definitely a, a sort of the best time of the year to open because you've got a little bit of time to figure out what you're doing before hopefully you get really busy. How are you getting the word out to like the locals to come and support early on? Is it just something like the local food scene knows about or? Mostly word of mouth. And then um, we did one promotional event this past weekend at, um, at a bar in the neighborhood where the restaurant is just to sort of put some of our food out there. We like made one sandwich that um, sort of a signature lunch sandwich that we're going to be making. And uh, it was an opportunity to um, show off some of the graphic design decisions we've been making. Um, so, and, and that's it. That's the only like promotional event we wanted to do, um, just because we've got plenty of other things to take care of. But it went really well. It felt like a ton of people showed up, um, and the response was really positive. Um, and it felt like it was worth it, um, just for us to work together and to put our food together, uh, but also for promotional purposes, it felt felt like a good move in the neighborhood people were like pumped about it yeah yeah. seems that way yeah cool yeah aside from having more money anything you would change about the way that this build build was budgeted for next time or i don't know i i think that yeah obviously the answer to like all (laughs) these questions is yeah more money would be great um don't do it backwards (laughs) yeah um but I, it feels like it's gone really smoothly. Like ever since we have, since since we sort of settled on our final budget number, um, everything has fallen into place really well. Yeah, and again, like this is, um, it's a small restaurant. The total budget is like relatively small. It's a pretty mom and pop type of operation. So. Um, it, it's easy to control everything. So given that you've done things the sort of right way, right, where you Mm -hmm. did, like, really were thoughtful and budgeted very carefully up front versus, like, we're just going to go for it. Would you do it this way again, or you're like... I mean, no. If I had the choice (laughs) and if I could, like, you know, design the circumstances uh, in which I found myself, like, ready to open a restaurant, uh, it would be have a business plan, have everything budgeted, then start looking for real estate and uh, sort of make sure you like shift your budget appropriately when you find a space. Um, but don't, don't do it the the other way around, (laughs) like be thorough and put a lot of energy into planning the business in advance before you dive in. Yeah. I mean, I think like you said multiple times, you know, so, and during this discussion is like you were, it was a very small project and it seems like you probably wouldn't have taken this risk if it was something bigger where, yeah, yeah. but I think if there were, yeah, if there were licensing concerns, like for a liquor license or things like that, that might need to be make or break situation, then obviously that would have been different. But then in the same, you know, the other argument is that this space was so perfect that you would have been stupid to let it go. Right. 
yeah. No, I think for this particular, yeah, for this particular project, it has turned out to be the right move that we yeah. just dove in, and there have been some, uh, yeah, some eye-opening financial conversations throughout the process. But right. um, it does this sandwich shop work well, you know, three miles west and in, in a different, completely different spot. Maybe it right. doesn't ever work at all, and right. it had to be in this spot. So. Yeah. Um, so was your landlord actually like? Was there somebody else who? For our listeners, was there somebody else who was actually like gonna sign the lease, or were they full of shit and just wanting to? No, like- <laughs> no, that's we've had a really great rapport with them, and um, uh, every apartment we've looked at in in New York City, Jenny and I, yeah. there has always been someone else that wanted so, to. Yeah, and I get immediately <laughs> right. No, and that's totally a negotiating tactic right. that you need to be aware of when you're on the end of someone who's like looking for space. Sure, um, but my, you know, my gut told me th- during that process that you know they were just being honest and they wanted to be clear that if we wanted the space like we needed to decide like yeah. tomorrow if if it, uh, and if not then that was fine with them but they had somebody else that they wanted to sign with and those um, angry people haven't come to like say why no, but I, I, i've heard from several <laughs> several other operators in the area since then that um they were like oh you know we looked at that space we were really interested Aww. like you're lucky you got it um, so it was a desirable, a desirable location. Sometimes it pays to be willing to say, we'll take it. We're ready. Right. We'll yeah. take it. We'll take no, it. Definitely. But only, but do it cautiously. We're not, uh, yeah. we're not, you know, promoting <laughs> that, uh, that approach. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, we're excited to hear about all the good opening and hopefully do you have an exact date or it's just like basically you're a couple weeks away? Last week of March, we we will be open. They will <laughs> be open. The last week yeah. of March, yeah. unless the health department says we can't open. All right, yeah. And we're downtown Portland. Uh, yeah, Portland, downtown Portland is like a peninsula. We're like on the peninsula of downtown. On Portland. the peninsula, yeah. Portland, Maine, Ramona's sandwiches, killer sandwiches, yeah. Philly inspired. Yeah, some yeah. of it, all of it. Mm-hmm, all of it. Breakfast, lunch, breakfast and lunch. Yeah, we'll be open seven to two. Cool. We're excited. Cool. Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. Jen, you want to do opening soon? Yeah. You want to, anybody else you know that's opening soon or recently opened or is yeah. going to be? In uh, Portland, my friends, uh, Jess and Vian, they own a place called Kongtubot. They're shutting down the spring to renovate their kitchen and uh, reopen uh, with lunch service. Right now they do dinner only. And uh, I'm excited to see, uh, I'm excited to see what they do. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the only other one we have to shout out is from Dame. They are our friends from Red Bread, which um, Dame will be a pop-up that is starting next Monday, 3-9, at Round K Coffee. So go and support them because this will help launch their next venture um, this this fall in September 2020. And then the only other thing we want to shout out is that we will be doing some live recordings of Charleston Wine and Food Festival on Friday. So if anybody's going down to Charleston, come pop by the Heritage Radio um, space, come see us, come hang out, and come watch us interview Rodney Scott and Kate and Ben Towell of Basic Projects. Yes, uh, excited for that. And we also wanted to give a quick shout out of support for our friends in Nashville. Everybody got hit pretty hard last night. Uh, early this morning from a tornado, and I know that uh, the restaurants Burger Up and Geist, both in Nashville, got hit really hard. Um, so let's throw our support their way, and uh, as soon as we're able to get down there and spend some tourism dollars and uh, get them back moving again. Uh, special thanks again to Chad Conley for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, like I said, we're super excited to see that uh, come to fruition. We'll put a wrap-up of today's show on our website, tilletnyc.com. We'll also send one to your inbox, so if you're not on our email list, then make sure that you get on it. And how do we find you? We've got 
three restaurants now on social. <laughs> yeah. So it's give us our handles. Uh, C. Conley uh, is uh, my personal one. Rose Foods uh, is the bagel shop. Palace Diner is the diner in Biddeford. And the new one is at Ramona's Main. Got it. You remember all that? Just listen to it again. We'll put it on the uh, website too so you can find them. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking with Chris Cipollone and John Winterman. We'll be talking about construction. They've got a big project happening in Williamsburg, Brooklyn right now. Um, make sure you follow us on iTunes. Uh, we're on Heritage Radio. We're at We Are Opening Soon, and we're at Till at NYC. Thanks again, and see you next week. Thank you. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fair, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.